there is a devotional for you um, that we'll be passing out to you. Sometimes, in Mr. Wife, we have this idea that good Christians don't suffer. They don't have problems like, like I have. We may come to church and we may see smiling faces and not be aware of what others are going through and think that, man, I'm the only one who is suffering or going through hard times. Others of us may think that abiding in Christ means that temptations will just bounce off of us. And as we walk in the Spirit, that the Christian life will be easy. This, of course, is totally untrue. It's unbiblical. Today, as we continue our series on prayer, we're going to be looking at a family who is committed to walking with God, and yet the wife, Hannah, was barren. Her infertility actually was the result of the nation of Israel's unfaithfulness. God had promised the nation of Israel that as long as they were obedient to him, that he would bless them. And Deuteronomy 7.14 says that there shall be no male or female among you or your livestock that is barren. Our story today of Hannah takes place in a time commonly known as the, the period of the Judges. And it is chronicled in the book of Judges. It was a time of anarchy and chaos, crises. I think that the very last verse of that book says it so well. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Each of us faced trials and suffering that sometimes seem insurmountable. Each of us have our own problems. It may be marriage problems. It may be family relationships. It may be a job or lack of. It could be finances, health issues, disappointments, rejection. Each of us struggle. I know right now that there are three or four within the church that are receiving treatment for cancer. There are a couple others who have gone through it and are cancer-free. There's no piece of cake. Now, Hannah's husband kind of had two wives, as we heard earlier. That can cause conflict. Of course, during that time period, polygamy was accepted within the culture. God's plan always was one man and one wife. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would all agree that whether well, there's several spouses at one time or a succession of them due to divorce, it is always, it always creates problems. Back in that culture, a wife's role was to raise children, to have kids. It was an agricultural society, and they needed children. Penina, 
the second wife had children. That was a sign of God's blessing. Some back then even felt like that those who were barren were cursed. For sure, though, Hannah would have been looked down upon. She would have been socially disgraced. And I think, probably, if they'd had Mother's Day, if they had celebrated Mother's Day back then, Hannah would have thought that Mother's Day was a big rip-off. Some of you today may have not felt totally comfortable coming. Maybe your mom has died recently and that pain is so strong, hurts so deeply. Maybe some of you here today and you long to have children, but God hasn't blessed you with any. Some of you may have had a horrible relationship with your mother. But I want you to know that our heart desire as we celebrate mothers is that we acknowledge and express the extreme value of mothers and their influence on us. Well, again, Hannah wasn't able to have children. Granted, some of us have problems because of our own doing. I think we all can acknowledge. We can look back in our lives and say, man, I've got problems, but it's my fault. But no matter what, the immediate source, God ultimately is sovereign over all things, and he's over our problems also. In verse 5, it's so very clear that Hannah's being barren was from the Lord. It says, the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord had closed her womb. It wasn't just an accident that she was infertile. You see, God gives us problems. He doesn't just allow problems. And sure, he allows problems in our lives. But sometimes he gives us problems. Doctors today can find reasons for infertility. And sometimes they can be treated. But ultimately, God is our creator. Job, as he went through the horrible things that he went through with losing his family and his livestock, said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Well, Elkanah went against the tide back then of apathy within Israel, and he was faithful year after year to go before the Lord and to bring sacrifices. He took his family with him. Verse 3 says that now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice for the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Verse 6 and 7 says that Benina provoked Hannah grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. It went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, poor husband, he tried his best to comfort his wife, Hannah. He seemed to kind of miss the boat, though, um, like we husbands sometimes can do. He said, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? 
Why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Maybe he could have used this statement. Hannah, you, you, Hannah, are worth more than ten children. We know his heart. We know that Elkanah loved his wife. He loved Hannah. And it hurt him to see her hurt. But Hannah was provoked over and over, year after year. Again, a reminder that being a Christian does not exempt us from suffering. Hannah was more godly than Penina, and yet Hannah is the one with a problem. If you think of suffering, I'm reminded of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5, 8 says that even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. Let me read it to you one more time. Hebrews 5, 8. Even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. The truth is, that some crises come into our lives like a flash of lightning, a, a crash of thunder, and they shatter our present journey. We're knocked violently from our feet, and we're stunned and confused. And sometimes we feel incapable of getting up and resuming our journey. David Jeremiah in his book on suffering, I think he's called Bent in the Road, shares how a baby giraffe gives birth. The mother giraffe stands up to give birth. The baby giraffe drops ten feet, hits on its back, and once he's down, of course, he tries to get up. The mom comes close, doesn't get up, and that long leg kicks for a calf. Doesn't get up. They may continue for quite a few times. And then, which, this process which seems so hard and horrible that a mom would do this to her child, to her calf. Finally, the little giraffe gets up. And the mother giraffe uses that leg and kicks the giraffe down again. You would think, to begin with, that ten feet would be enough. I'm not a basketball man, but Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the NFL the rim to the floor ten feet? Ten feet. Ten. NBA. What did I say? NFA? I say, I'm not a basketball man. But I do know that it's ten feet. I did research. Again, it may seem like brutal treatment. The mother wants the calf to remember how 
he or she got up. She wants him or her to remember how she got up. That's why she knocks it down again. Does God sometimes nurture us in the same way? We struggle to get on our feet sometimes, and boom, we're hit again. We're knocked down again. Our Heavenly Father knows, though, that love must be tough. It must take the long view. We must never forget where we got to where we are. I'll never forget when Zachary, our son, who is now 25, was born. Of course, like all parents, at first he was in a little crib in our bedroom. But eventually there comes that time where Zachary needed to go to his own bedroom. Again, it's been 25 years, but I can still remember. Put him in his bed. My wife, Chris, tucked him in, and we went to bed. And after a little while, Zachary started screaming. Not loudly, but he was crying, and you could tell that he was hurting. I want to go get him. And Chris, being the teacher, trained in these things, to know, kept screaming. Chris, you can hear the pain. He's, he's scared. We need to get him. I followed my wife's instructions. And she was right. Eventually, he stopped. And I must confess, over the years, I'm the softy. Chris is that good disciplinarian, filled with love, filled with love. But she knows a child needs discipline. And God knows that we as his children need discipline. I want us to realize today that God in his grace, he graciously gives us problems. We need to listen to his voice when he says, get up, get up, get moving, get with it. And don't forget, hey, you got where you are. What do we do with our problems? I think we we'll probably have three choices. One, we can rail against them. Two, we can become discouraged, depressed. Three, we can endure them and be trained by them. Hannah cried out to the Lord. Verse 10 and 11 says that she was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord. Verse 15 says... As she was talking to Eli, she says, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. When we face problems, God wants us to seek Him. He wants us to come to Him. Problems, you see, are God's gracious way 
teaching us to draw near to him and to be intimate with him. Penina didn't seek after the Lord. She had her children. She didn't have a problem. She had no need in her mind. But Hannah addressed God as the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies, which emphasizes God's sovereignty over all things, visual or invisible. He rules over all. Ephesians 3 says that he is able to do far more abundantly than we dream of and ask for. Most of us probably, though, we, we know when we face problems as Christians, we know we should go to God. We know we should. But the truth is, too often, we try to take care of things ourselves. We know that God loves us. We know that God knows our every need. And because he's sovereign over all things, in his love and his perfect wisdom, he's able to take care of our needs. And yet, we, in our weakness, attempt to take care of our needs. You see, prayer is an acknowledgement of our dependence on God. But our mindset is such with the culture of independence and self-sufficiency, I can handle things myself. When God brings something into our lives that <clears throat> is insurmountable, something we can't handle, He wants you, He wants me to draw near to Him and to learn to depend on Him in ways that we never would unless we have those problems. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. And yet, as we face problems, we try to do things ourselves. David Jeremiah in his book says that great works are done in deep waters. If you're diving for pearls, you've got to leave the shallow water. Well, why would God, in this first chapter, the second chapter of 1 Samuel, focus on Hannah, who was barren? There must have been many women who were barren, and yet we see that he focuses on Hannah. If we read through the book, we see the first seven chapters deal with God's plan for Samuel to be a leader there in Israel. If you study God's Word, you can look back and you see that there are many women in the Bible that were barren. And as I thought about it, I thought about Sarah. We go back to Genesis. Abraham and Sarah. She was barren. And, and God promised Abraham a son. And he said, I'll multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. 
and yet she was barren. She was old. Of course, we know that God blessed Sarah, and she gave birth to Isaac. And if you remember the story, Isaac married Rebecca. Second generation. Guess what? Rebecca was barren. But Isaac prayed, and she conceived, and gave birth to Esau and to Jacob. Third generation. Jacob marries Rachel. Rachel is barren. But it says that God opened her womb. And she gave birth to Joseph, whom God used to save many in Egypt and the nations around. Each of these three women, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, three generations in a row, in a family by which God had promised to Abraham that he would make them great, that he would bless all the world. And you see that in the midst, as God has plans for our lives, he's working. And as I, as I thought about that, <clears throat> why would he make it so hard for each of these three women? First generation, second generation, third generation. He, wants, he wanted them to depend on him. Well, each of these women were barren, and in each case, a child was born who was God's answer to a crisis in that home. In Hannah's case, she didn't just ask for a son. She dedicated her son to the Lord. Verse 11 says, O Lord of heaven's armies, or Lord of the host, based on the version you're reading, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I'll give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. Hannah had gone through so much all those years of being barren. She knew the problems it caused. She came to realize that children aren't just for parents. Children are for God. That nothing that we own really belongs to us. We're stewards of everything that we have. And particularly our children, their own loan. It's our job as parents to shepherd and to train them up for the Lord's work. Whereas we pray in our own lives for our own needs, Jesus, in the so-called disciples' uh, prayer, um, said we're to pray for our daily bread, for our daily needs. But he also gave the example that we're to pray that his kingdom would come. His kingdom would come. You see, God's purpose in prayer is not that we just have our problems solved or that our needs be met so we can have an easy life, trouble-free, self-centered. No. The purpose that God has for us is that God's will will be done in our lives 
that he will receive glory in and through us. Hannah understood the times. Israel was apathetic. She knew they were in desperate times spiritually. Again, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and Eli's sons, who served as priests, were wicked. They committed sexual immorality with the women at the door of the tabernacle. It was through Hannah's prayer that God raised up her son, Samuel, as the first of the prophets. She knew that God's purpose for his people took precedent over her need for a son to be at home. And she yielded her son to the Lord. That's how God wants you and me to pray. Not just that our needs be met, but that his purpose be accomplished in our lives. 1 Samuel 2, 21, chapter down, notes that God blessed Hannah, by the way, with five additional children. Today, I know there's some of you who are out of work. You need a job. So pray for it. That's legitimate. We should also be praying that when God gives us that job, that we'll be a light in that workplace. And that we'll be generous with that paycheck. Some of you today are sick. And you're praying for good health. And that's good. But pray also that when God gives us good health, that he'll give us, that we rather would give time to him and to his work, to his ministry. And maybe you're praying for a husband or a wife this morning. Godly spouse is wonderful. But pray also that God would use the two of you as a couple to bring glory to God. Pray also, if the Lord wills, that he would use the two of you to raise godly children. As we pray, we should pray that God meets our needs, but also brings glory and fulfills his purpose for our lives. Again, Hannah dedicated herself to the Lord, but she also dedicated her son to the Lord. Well, later on in chapter 1, verse 27 or so, it says that, that when Samuel was weaned, Hannah took the boy with her, along with things for sacrifice, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And she says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And that's New Living Translation. The ESV and the NIV say that they worshipped with a footnote that says in Hebrew, it says he worshipped. We know that Samuel was young, probably about three years old. Whether he worshipped God alone or whether he worshipped with his family, we know that Hannah had taken the exhortation in Deuteronomy chapter 6 very seriously. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Talking about God's Word. Moms and dads, it's our responsibility to train up our children in the ways of God's Word. During the Holocaust, Solomon Rosenberg, his wife, along with two sons, young sons, his parents were abducted, they were uh, arrested, placed in a concentration camp. The rules were simple. As long as you work, you get to keep living. When you're unable to do the work, you're exterminated. Rosenberg first watched as his mom and dad, unable to work, were sent to the extermination. Every day, Rosenberg watched, knowing that his son, younger son, who was weak physically, would be the next one. And every evening, when he came back to the barracks after hours of hard labor, he searched for his family. And we found them. They would hold together. They would pray. They would thank God for that day. And one day he came back. He couldn't find those familiar faces. He looked. He looked. Finally, he found his oldest son, Joshua, who was praying. He said, Josh, tell me it's not true. Tell me it's not true. And Josh said, yes, this is true. David was not able to work. So they took him away. And Rosenberg then asked, but where's your mother? Where's your mother? Joshua could barely speak and finally uttered, when they took David, he was afraid and he cried. And so mom took his hand and went with him. See, that's the kind of love that Hannah had for Samuel. She was willing to sacrifice herself for sake of her son. She loved him so much that she was willing to give him, give up a mother's greatest dream to raise children to see them around the house. She was committed to God's purpose for her son. Well, after leaving Samuel with Eli, Hannah breaks out in the first ten verses of chapter two, giving praise to God. And we won't be able to go through all this in, in detail, but even before we look there, I didn't sense in the prayer in the psalm any sense of, of sadness. It was praise. It was worship after having given up her son. And another thing I noticed is she didn't brag about how smart Samuel was or how handsome he was or how well he learned his prayers at such an early age. She gives praise to God for the one, the one 
who gave her Samuel. As we look at Hannah's prayer, we see that she was an excellent theologian. We see a very different perspective than what she'd had before. If you remember, she was sad. She was distressed. Brokenhearted. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, we read, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my salvation. The word my horn there is a term used back then of animals of strength and of glory. And she says, my strength, my glory is exalted in the Lord. And then when it says, my mouth derides my enemies, it literally says, my mouth is wide. If you can imagine two animals fighting, it's as, as if she's saying she's ready to devour her enemies. Again, this is poetry. We can look back on Hannah's life and we can see that in all that she went through, she never turned toward being angry and bitter. But it goes on, we see that she sees God as incomparable. Verse one, 2 there. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She said, there's no God. There's no God like you. In fact, you're the only God. There's nothing compares to you. And you're the rock. There's no one else who will be her rock, her strength, through the storms of life. <clears throat> In verse 3, she talks to the arrogant non-believer. Maybe to Penina. Maybe. She says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. She gives a warning to non-believers, those who are antagonistic. She says, beware. God is a God of knowledge. He knows all. And by him our actions are weighed. Then verse, verses 4 through 8, we see God's sovereignty. And in these four or five verses, it seems like God just takes everything that man has pride in and he turns it upside down. The bow of the mighty is now broken and those who stumbled are now strong. Verse 5, those who were well fed are now starving. Those who are starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children and the woman with many wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but he raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down, he lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes 
placing them in seats of honor. For the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. We see so clearly there God's sovereignty. We think we make ourselves rich. We think it's because of us that we have power. Yet she, so theologically correct, God is sovereign. She then predicts God's victory in the future. She says, he will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. And that's a reference to the Messiah, the anointed one, coming up. Well, as with Hannah, God answers our prayers and should lead us to worship and to praise him. Hannah's an example for us all. As I studied this passage, I was this Mother's Day, and I wanted to use it clearly just as Mother's Day. But as I studied it, it's a passage for all of us. So very much a passage for all of us. She's an example for us to trust in God in the midst of life's hardship, struggles that seem impossible to overcome. She endured years of suffering because of being barren and because of the cruel treatment by Penina. She worshipped the Lord, though, in spite of the cruel treatment. Year after year, and she poured out her heart to the Lord in the midst of tears. And when God answers her prayer, she not only keeps her promise, she explodes in praise and worship. To study this passage, I just see how God brings about his blessings. He shows his grace in the midst of sorrow and suffering and hardship. He wants us to know him. He wants you and me to know him intimately. We don't really learn who God is until we face situations that we can't overcome. It's then that we learn about who he is. Women, I want you to know that you're of great value to God, whether you have children or not. Realize that God loves you for who you are and not for what you've done. He understands your sorrow and your pain, and he'll meet you right where you are. Mothers in particular, make it your mission to give your children to the Lord for a lifetime. There's no greater purpose in life than to serve God. Samuel was greatly impacted by his mother and went on to become a significant leader in God's redemptive history of Israel. Moms, you matter greatly to your children 
and to the very future of this nation and to the world. Men, one of the reasons, or rather one of the lessons that we can learn from the life of Hannah is that we each need to be growing in our faith, in our relationship with the Lord. If we want our children, if we have them, or our siblings, or our friends, or our co-workers, neighbors to love God, it needs to come from us first. For those who are husbands and fathers, heads of home, you're to lead the family in worshiping, not follow. God graciously sends us problems so that we turn to him in the midst of struggling and hardship and suffering. And his goal is that we be drawn to him so that we get to know him. Malcolm Muggeridge, in an interview just before, I guess he died, he was uh, end of his life, he says, as an old man looking back on one's life, it is one of the things that strikes most forcibly that the only thing that taught one anything is suffering. Not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that really teaches us is suffering and affliction. I was reading in my wife Chris's devotional, and it's as if God was speaking to the reader. And God says, Do not resist or run from the difficulties in your life. These problems are not random mistakes, they are hand tailored messages designed for your benefit and growth. Embrace all the circumstances that I allow in your life, trusting me to bring good out of them. View problems as opportunities to rely on me. Your needs become doorways to deep dependence on me, increasing intimacy between us. Well, Hannah was just one woman in the nation of Israel, and yet the whole nation was blessed because she had a problem. She was barren. She prayed according to God's purposes, and in turn, she learned very clearly who God is. So, what's your problem? What is your problem? Today, what are you struggling with? What is your hardship? What seems impossible? Do you recognize it? Is God's gracious hand in your life? Will you accept it? It's from the Lord? Are you and I crying out to God with our problem? Again, God wants us to get to know Him. He knows that it's in the midst of struggles 
in hardship and pain, that we draw near to him and become intimate, gain to know who he is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Hannah's life. 